Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. For he is a rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. For he is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. you have thought about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, this phrase and, and kind of, it appears in Paul's writing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 1, he starts off, he says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, I find this so interesting because, you know, many times whenever we start to, to talk about, or if somebody even mentions about the gifts of the Spirit, we oftentimes might think, oh, well, you know, I'm not exactly sure what that means and, and what can we learn from that. But yet Paul said that he did not want them to be uninformed about that. I believe it's important that if Paul thought it was important for them to understand the gifts of the Spirit, then shouldn't we also understand the gifts of the Spirit and what they mean today? Now, the gifts of the Spirit don't just automatically just appear in the church, but we see them from the very beginning of the church. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Now, 
in Acts chapter 2, part of the sermon that Peter preaches, one of the things that he states is he's, he's kind of making this case and explaining about Jesus and explaining about the things that have just been taking place. In Acts 2, verses 22 through 24, Peter says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So one of the things that Peter goes back to about Jesus is that Jesus was accredited by God through miracles, wonders, signs, which God was doing among uh, their midst through Jesus. That's one of the big things about the ministry of Jesus and what he did. That's why whenever we see all these miracles that he did, you know, it was because God was working through him. God was doing great things through him. Now, this morning we had an interesting um, time together that I was talking with, you know, some of our members and all, and we were we were kind of asking if we could witness something in the Bible, what would we want to see? And some of the answers had to do with some of these miracles that Jesus himself did. But, you know, could you imagine actually being there and seeing those miracles that Jesus did? And maybe this would be a good thing for you to discuss with those that you're, you're meeting uh, together with in your homes right now, you know, because, well... <laughs> The weather is is uh, not all that great right now, and we're probably not going to be going outside anytime soon. So maybe after you watch this this video and and all y'all y'all can have a discussion about if you could witness something from the Bible, what would you like to see? Well, I know that that many of us are going to say something about the miracles that Jesus did because they were great, they were wonderful things that he did, and they showed us the power that Jesus had. And these miracles come from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. In fact, even before Jesus started his public ministry. In John chapter 1, we see this testimony from John the Baptist, where he says in John 1 verses 29 through 34, we read, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, The man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. And that was the testimony that John gave. There was something special about Jesus. Jesus was going to be the one that brought the Spirit. This, I believe, is actually the, the main difference between Jesus' baptism and the baptism in John the Baptist. Because as John was baptizing, he was told that the, the one that you see the Holy Spirit coming down and remaining on, that's going to be the one who's going to baptize with the Spirit. That's why we see all these gifts from the Spirit that show up throughout the pages of the New Testament. So now, let's go back to the book of 1 Corinthians. But now, before we get into uh, chapter 12, uh, which really, I, I want us to kind of look at the big picture of verses, I'm sorry, chapter 12 through 14. All of those are talking about spiritual gifts. All three of those chapters are really talking about spiritual gifts. 
But the idea of spiritual gifts and the importance of spiritual gifts have been mentioned all throughout that book of 1 Corinthians. In fact, from the very like introduction of the book, Paul starts talking about the gifts that they had received. In 1 Corinthians, the very first chapter, verses 4 through 9, Paul, just as his introductory remarks, he says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So even as Paul is introducing this, and by the way, if you've spent any uh, amount of time in the book of 1 Corinthians, you find out that they are a church who, yes, they are a church, but they've got their problems. They really do. But even in this church who has all types of problems, one of the things that Paul says about them is that they do not lack any spiritual gift. God has given them everything that they need. They've got all these different types of spiritual gifts. But what are they doing with them? How are they using those? And I believe that we too have received spiritual gifts. Now, whenever we talk about spiritual gifts or think about these gifts from the Spirit, you know, sometimes we always just immediately go to miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit and kind of those, those really big things. But that's not the only types of gifts that we see that the Spirit gives to us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we get some clarity. So Paul tells us a little bit more information. Well, what does a gift of the Spirit look like? What are some examples of those things? So let's look at those together. Once again, I kind of want us to get chapters 12 through 14 sort of as a whole and kind of understand them all together. Now, you might find it strange that chapter 13 is in the midst of this because chapter 13 is known as the love chapter. It's all about love. However, it comes right in the midst of talking about spiritual gifts. I mean, chapter 12 starts off with spiritual gifts. Chapter 14 is talking about spiritual gifts. Does 13 serve to bridge the gap between this and maybe teach us something about these gifts of the Spirit? I believe so. Let's look at it together. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 1. Now about gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. But in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So some of the things that we learn about here, and it's kind of the interesting things that he goes into, is he says that he wants them to be informed about these gifts of the Spirit. Now, he is speaking to some people who were led astray at some point by mute idols, but he says, no, let's, let's get all this together and let's recognize that if somebody comes in the Spirit of God, they're not going to say, Jesus, be cursed, and... Also, if somebody says Jesus is Lord, they're only going to do that by the Holy Spirit. He's kind of getting them to recognize that there's a difference in these, these kind of spirits that are behind them. What he is talking about and getting them to focus on is the Holy Spirit. 
not the spirit that might be behind their their pagan religions or or we might you know refer to those as perhaps you know demons and all who have tried to lead people astray and turn away from the one true and living God. But Paul is saying, look, we got to focus on the Holy Spirit, the one true spirit of God. And then he also says that, look, there's different kinds of gifts, different kinds of services, different kinds of working, but yet it's the same spirit. It's the same Lord. It's the same God who is working behind all of that to give us a sense of unity and to build us up and to help us in our everyday lives. And if you want to know a little bit more about those different kinds of gifts, that's what Paul goes into greater detail about. Verses 7 through 11 now. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Oh, that's, that's pretty important to recognize what verse 7 is talking about, isn't it? That the reason behind all this is given for the common good. Verse 8. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. A lot we can learn here. A lot of these great things to understand about these gifts of the Spirit is that, yes, some of these are like really big things, you know, really uh, like miraculous powers and then speaking in tongues and, and being able to heal people. And we look at that and we're like, wow, those are like amazing things. But notice that faith is also mentioned in this, which oftentimes we look at that and we think, oh, okay, well, you know, everybody has to have faith. So we just kind of push that to the side, not recognizing how powerful that gift actually is. And notice, you know, these other things too. If you have ever met somebody who has extreme knowledge or extreme wisdom, you can't help but notice they've been blessed by God. They've been given this certain type of spirit, uh, this certain type of gift through the spirit that has helped them to, to understand these things and to be able to explain these things and help other people and use those gifts for the common good, like what verse 7 says. And verse 11 also tells us that the Spirit is the one who determines who gets these different types of, of gifts. He's the one who gives them. He freely gives them. But that doesn't mean that we're all going to be exactly the same, that we're all going to look the same, because we don't. We each are given different types of, of gifts. And kind of example of, of learning how that, that kind of works uh, in the church is what Paul goes to next. Verses 12 through 20, we see the example is given about a body. Now, we understand that our body is, you know, the whole thing is a body, whether it be our eyes, our ears, our, our mouth, our nose, our hands, whatever. It's all part of the same body, but yet it's not all the same. And that's the example to understand about the church. We are the body of Christ, and this is what we look like. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. 
If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. As you look at this, this is a wonderful example, one that we can understand because, you know, we've, we've got our own body. It's made up of different parts, but yet it's still part of the body. It still is a member of that, uh, of our body. That's how each one of us are described. You might be a hand or a foot or an ear or an eye or a mouth, whatever the case may be. You have a part to serve in the body of Christ. And if you are missing as part of the body of Christ, then Christ is missing something. The body of Christ is missing something. I mean, you know, could you imagine that if we didn't have an eye or didn't have an ear, it, complications come from such uh, things. But yet right here, how many times do we recognize that, look, whenever we're lacking in some area as the body of Christ, the body of Christ is lacking. And this, this comparison is kind of brought up again just a few verses later. So now we're going to jump on down to verse 27 again. Verses 27 through 31 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. So he says that there are differences. There's a lot of differences in the church that we see. We're not all the same. But what we need to do is we need to be people. We need to be a church who would eagerly desire the greater gifts. That we, we want to be able to, to build up the body, uplift the body, and help the body. Now, don't, don't think for a moment that because you're a hand or a foot, you know, you, you're like, oh, well, I'm not like that person over there. I'm not like that part of the body of Christ. So then, you know, you might be, belittle yourself. There's no place for that in the church. We all have a part. Let's make sure that we desire these gifts, help one another, use these gifts in a way that will uplift each other. So he says right here at the end of this chapter, he says, I will show you the most excellent way. Hmm, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Don't we all want to know the most excellent way, you know, the best way to do something, the best way to be what we are called to be? That's where 1 Corinthians 15 I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 13 fits into all of this. In 1 Corinthians 13, this is the most excellent way, the best way. He starts off and he says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. That's where this love chapter fits in. And if you keep reading and find out a, a kind of a, a definition of what love is. But in the first three verses, we find out the importance of love. We see that it doesn't matter how great of gifts we've received from the Spirit. If, even if we're exercising those gifts and doing the things that God would have us to do, if we don't have love, 
we've missed it. We have missed it entirely, completely, altogether. What hope do we have? He says that, you know, look, you're only like a, a clanging cymbal. You're like a resounding gong. And even if you do all these great things, but if you don't have love, you've missed it entirely. You gain nothing. He says, well, I am nothing. Even if, if I can do all these things and even if I have faith that can move mountains, if I don't have love, I've missed it. That's why love is at the center of what these gifts are about. God most certainly loves us. And he wants us to love one another. We also see from this that we are called to use our gifts to show that love, to build up each other. We have to connect love with these gifts. Whenever we connect love with the gifts that God has given to us, I think that we can see some great things. But, you know, this also requires a bit of maturity. That's why Paul also uses the example about uh, a man is different from a child. Skipping down a few verses in verses 11 through 13, now at the end of chapter 13, he says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the most excellent way. This is what he was saying. That This is how we become mature. That we put away those childish things. We leave those behind. And we mature. We become a man. We put childhood behind us. And we mature. And then we can, we can see the importance of faith, hope, and love working together. And recognize we must have love always at, at the center of everything that we do. Let's not focus so much on the gifts that we maybe have or maybe want to receive that we miss the fact that, look, we've got to have love the whole time. If we don't have love, we've missed it. And now I want us to kind of fast forward because I, I wanted us to see about chapters 12, 13, and 14. So I want to look at a passage from chapter uh, 14. It, it's going to reveal to us kind of the goal, the purpose of these gifts. Even though we've hinted at it several times, we've seen it's for the common good. But Paul goes back to that. In 1 Corinthians 14, 12, he says, Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. He, he's kind of giving them this, this idea of, of what these gifts are about. The Spirit is the one that chooses to give us what gifts he chooses to give us whether they be, in our opinion, some really great gift or some just kind of ordinary looking gift. Well, we need to eagerly desire these gifts and to excel in those that build up the church. We need to always be able to, to use these gifts in a way that can build each other up. You know, can we use whatever gift the Spirit has chosen to give us to build one another up, to do our part in the church of Christ? Because really, building up one another, using what, the, what God has given to us, showing love for one another, this is what the church means. This is what the church is. So let us make sure that we be the church, that we be the body of Christ and work together for the common good, the good of Jesus Christ. There's a model of heaven down here below. It's a picture of glory sublime. 
With the glorious body of Christ our dear Lord, live here on creation of thine. Our Savior has given the sweet sacrifice for a bitter and sinful old tree. You hung between heaven and earth, my dear Lord, increase my devotion to Just gives us a glimpse of lovely and marvelous scenes. That heavenly city is calling me home, that wonderful place of my God. Our Savior has given the sweet sacrifice, what a bitter and sinful old tree. You hung there between heaven and earth, my dear Lord. Increase my devotion to Thee. Oh, what a reunion we'll have that glad day. The face of our God we'll all see. Those loved ones we'll hold in our arms once again. In the wonderful place of our God. Our Savior has given us sweet sacrifice. What a bitter and sinful old tree. You hung there between heaven and earth, my dear Lord. Increase my devotion to thee. The church is that model of heaven for me. I love to be with them and sing. The word to proclaim it delights my poor heart. How we show how the lost may be free. Our Savior has given the sweet sacrifice. What a bitter and sinful old tree. You hung there between heaven and earth, my dear Lord. Increase my devotion to thee.